Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Shindig and Archaeology podcast brought to you by the Red River Archaeology Group. Um, I'm your host, Dr. Tom Horn, and uh, we've got a, a brilliant episode for you today. It's one of my great friends, Adam Parsons of Oxford Archaeology. There's just something about the images of people in the past, those reconstruction drawings of people, you know, Roman soldiers and things like that, just really inspired me, really. A lot of you may know Adam from his amazing outreach online, especially to do with his uh, reproduction uh, early medieval artefacts. Um, because it means that students can study these sorts of things and look at how they would have looked and how these objects would have behaved when they were intact and not crumbly. But did you know that he's also like the most amazing archaeological illustrator with his day-to-day job at Oxford Archaeology? So- but sometimes the corrosion is so bad that actually you need to use a combination of you know, a drawing and then a interpretive overlay and maybe x-rays in conjunction with it. And those sorts of things can really help to bring out the features you're trying to describe. So listen to this podcast. It's about Adam's life in archaeology and also the amazing early medieval outreach, reproduction, TikTok work that he does. So yeah, do enjoy. Okay, so Adam, you know, you spent your whole life in archaeology. Um, as we know, it's a usually a fabulously well-paid job. Um, <laughs> apart from the money and the glamour, what was it that, you know, brought you into it in the first place and, and why have you stayed in it for, for so long? Uh, I don't know if I'm brutally honest. I do remember visiting a lot of castles and things like that as a kid with my parents and always being quite enthused by that. And I particularly remember at primary school looking at um, books on ancient Greece and ancient Rome illustrated by um, uh, Peter Connolly, who I rather fortunately got to meet later on in my career at a conference and was a lovely man. But there was just something about the images of people in the past, those reconstruction drawings of people, you know, Roman soldiers and things like that, that just really inspired me, really. And I suppose that's where it started, you know, a little bit of my parents enjoying history and a little bit of those those core textbooks as a kid, things like that. I think that's it, isn't it? It's kind of like if we're lucky enough to have a parent or a guardian or a relative or even a, a, an elder sibling that has that interest and it kind of gets passed on I think it's quite interesting with the way your career uh, has gone and we'll be discussing later about reenactment and uh, reproductions that it it was almost like you went to these sites and you, you kind of saw the reconstructions and you enjoyed the archaeology but you kind of as much if not more enjoyed how people were interpreting them so visually as well would that would that be fair to say yeah definitely I mean I remember some of the first things I did was make myself night suits of armor out of cardboard and things like that you know like I think there's that impulse in us all of us we respond to things in different ways when we're enthused about them and mine was definitely my first response was to draw it and make it and try and reconstruct it and it was those images that captured me so perhaps it's no surprise you know, with the benefit of hindsight to see where that was leading. <laughs> so. I think our listeners now have to realise that if, you know, hopefully you'll be you're looking at uh, Adam's web pages and we'll give all the addresses to that later on. You, you can understand now what, what drives him and why, why he does what he does. And that's a really interesting insight because I didn't know, you know, I know Adam fairly well, but I didn't think that, you know, he'd be standing at these interpretation boards that you see see at sites at Hadrian's Wall, whatever, and you see the reconstructions, and that was the thing that really 
stole a sort of young, young Adam's imagination. But I think also the interesting aspect is Adam's a very, very skilled illustrator and he's worked for many years. Um, he works for Oxford Archaeology. Um, his principal job, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is, is, is a, an illustrator, but you also edit. You also do lots of other things in terms of outreach. But it's illustration, really, because we've not talked to an illustrator before um, on this podcast. So, you know, I think you always get that idea. I mean, obviously, I worked as an archaeologist, as you have yourself, and you were told to you know, really sort of begin that interpretation process at the trowel's edge. And I suppose, you know, I really want to think, you know, as an illustrator, what's your philosophy when, you know, how much interpretation, you know, are you allowed in your job? Um, I think you told me once about you had a sort of particular way that you, because you worked as an archaeologist for so long, as well as an illustrator, you kind of know what aspects are important. So I don't know if you can just expand upon, you know, if you get uh, an object to draw, um, you know, what, what you're sort of looking for and what you may be looking to emphasize, maybe the wrong word, you can choose your own words for that, just to, to bring it out. So in report, people can actually understand what's going on with that particular artifact. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, it's, as you said, it stems from that initial impulse of wanting to see the thing reconstructed and recreated. And that in itself is a natural extension of wanting to understand how the thing was made and how the thing was used. So I suppose if I was to sum up one philosophy behind it all, it would be artifact biography, which is something all archaeologists have heard about, which is this idea that an object was made by somebody in a particular way and has been used by potentially various people in particular ways and deposited in a particular way and those things will leave marks on that object throughout its journey and so understanding that is where illustration starts really yes you can draw but actually what the drawing is supposed to do is bring out those features so i'll be looking at um you know features from the manufacturer casting marks file marks things like that and it'll be my job to sort of emphasize those features so they become visible um, but also de-emphasize things like corrosion because they can often get in the way because you'll often hear, why don't you just take a photograph? Oh, well, we do sometimes. But sometimes the corrosion is so bad that actually you need to use a combination of, you know, a drawing and then a interpretive overlay and maybe x-rays in conjunction with it. And those sorts of things can really help to bring out the features you're trying to describe because things aren't always as nice as the sort of the type object in a museum on a case that's perfectly preserved you know often the artifacts we deal with are in a lot worse condition and need need a little bit of help should we say well you know that that's really interesting because i know that you 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 did a lot of work on sort of waterlogged uh roman uh wood i think and i can imagine some of them wouldn't have been in the best condition or they were perhaps you know going to deteriorate fairly quickly so i suppose there's an aspect of having to record the marks on that before they potentially uh, faded. Obviously, there'd be preservation going on there as well. But I, I was fascinated to learn that you spent about two years, I mean, having the immense privilege of, of recording these waterlogged Roman artifacts. Could you tell us a little bit about that site and some of the finds that you were drawing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I actually started working drawing the, the waterlogged wooden parts of that when I was a, in my last year of university. Um, as a part-time job and then subsequently went on to work on all the artifacts from the site so it's about two years in total that I just spent drawing finds from this site. Um, which site was it can you can you reveal? As well? It was yeah it was the Millennium Project in Carlisle which was a large excavation just in front of the castle today um, and it 
kind of goes under the road too so there were some trenches that are now in the the bypass and which is part of a uh, a new gallery in Tully House which today displays the finds um again it, it comes back to that same philosophy you could sit down and draw the piece of wood and it would be a lovely drawing but actually what are you supposed to be looking at and fundamentally to draw a piece of wood properly you need to understand how trees grow how different species of trees grow and then how people use different tools to manufacture things from them so you need to understand about how uh, you know different trees such as an oak tree will have large medullary rays which are the rays that come out from the center of the tree and they leave a characteristic patterning on the the wood and how in the past people would split these um radially which is to say out from the center like a like you'd cut a normal cake up really into little wedges so that's how wood was chopped up in the past whereas today we will slice a, a tree uh, tangentially which is much more like you'd cut a Christmas cake up or a wedding cake into those weird little slivers. Um, and once you start to understand how the tree grows and how it's been cut up, you can start to understand the, the marks you're seeing on the surface from these processes. You'll also see saw marks. You'll start to recognize the difference between axe and adze marks. Um, so really what you're understanding is how the tree's grown, and how the tree's then been cut down. And it's just your job as an illustrator to then put the pencil to the paper and, and explain that process really again it's just seen, that... as a, seen as a drawing process but it's not really it's a it's an interpretive process just exactly as you said about you know getting all that information onto the page it's about just in the same way a paragraph of text may communicate an idea a drawing is supposed to communicate some ideas or some processes so well, that you've given us a beautiful quotation for posting about this on social media so you're you're doing your <laughs> job thank you um, but... It was interesting there that you said that um, you know you were talking about your know, pencil to paper, but now a lot of it is 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 digital. And I suppose there's a, a lot of people maybe interested in doing this as a career. How have you know? I'm old enough to say you know computers, science computers. Um, how, how how have they changed the way that you go around your job? Or is it always you start with the sort of you know the pencil and paper, and then you 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 scan and digitize, or do you now start digitally and you know just a little bit about that process? Does it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm I'm not particularly. I mean, my, I'm philosophically driven rather than process driven, which means that I will keep at core the philosophy I've talked about in terms of explaining the artifact. So I don't particularly care what medium I use, other than I'll try and pick the medium that is both best to display the thing I want to show. And also quickest, because obviously, you know, the more faster we can do things, the more things we can do or the better things we can do. Which means for something like uh, perhaps a wooden artifact, I would still use pen and ink. Old fashioned ink pens have to fill up manually and get nibs clogged. Same with lithics, just because I am faster and more accurate at you know, relaying the information I need to using those. For something like pottery, Roman pottery, it's now... Partly pencil drawing because there's some basic geometry involved in on reconstructing a pot itself. But then after that process, I'll go entirely digital. I'll scan it in. I'll go into you know Adobe Illustrator we use and and reflect the pot and reconstruct the pot digitally that way. The actual plans themselves, I mean, as well as the artifacts, there's plans on site. Most of that now is entirely digital, um, to the point where there are very little drawings done on site anymore. So. You know, it, it's one of those things where I think you you choose your tool depending on the outcome you need, really. And today it's very much the, a mixed medium, particularly for myself. 
And how many years? I mean, I you know, what one doesn't like to ask a, an illustrator their their age in terms of their career, but how, how oh, many gosh. years? <laughs> Adam's tw- twenty one. He's he's packed a lot yeah. in, in <laughs> short time on this. How, how many years then have you been illustrating? Because did you get into that fairly early when you started your working commercial archaeology? Yeah, I mean, it was technically my the role I applied for with what um, Oxford Archaeology in Lancaster was the illustrator job back in 2002 I think I started so that's 21 years now um now obviously that role has developed out from illustration into a, a number of other strands but it still re- remains the core of my work illustration um so yeah quite a while but I had been doing it prior to that too you know again I was doing the recording the wood prior to that and I'd actually been volunteering at Carlisle Archaeology Limited in Carlisle prior to that too just you know, helping out. I worked out quite early on that actually archaeologists have to do a lot of stuff in December on rainy sites, on watching breeze and fields in the middle of nowhere. And the illustrator got to sit in a warm office with coffee and people brought the finds to them already cleaned. So I was like, I see what's happening with this game. So it was definitely a racket that I was looking to get into. So there you go, kids. Uh, listen to your <laughs> uncle Adam. Uh, stay, stay, stay inside with a nice uh, warm drink and uh, just yeah. uh, just complain slightly if people give you something that's a bit too muddy. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you do miss out on the, you know those amazing digs, amazing sites yeah. in the middle of summer. But you know, as we all know, that isn't that isn't everything we do, is it? <laughs> No, in commercial archaeology, it's very little often nope. of what we do. <laughs> <laughs> but we do it because we love the archaeology and, yep. you know, the construction uh, happens uh, all, all year round. So uh, we're happy to do it. And, you know, we'll, we'll complain about it a little bit on these podcast people. But, um, yeah, we, we, we do love it. And uh, I don't know if Nestle would do it for free, as I tend to say in this podcast. But, you know... <laughs> You know, it is is a vocation, and I think that's what yep. you know. Adam's saying that uh, you know it's something he's done and he does you know out with. He does it you know beyond his day to day job in archaeology, as do I. It's just something that 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 we love. And I mean, it's interesting um, that you know Adam has now worked in this for over 20, 21 years, and you must have come across some spectacular artifacts. Well, I know for a fact you have with some of the publications we're talking about later because um adam um you may or may not know this is if you're on a site and you see something particularly if it's early medieval and it's a kind of lump of iron what you tend to do is you ask around the site and say can we can we ask adam yet and then you'll sort of say okay we can we can send this we'll send it to adam and he'll get i'm sure out the blue um he'll just get a a, a photo taken on a, a on a, a wet and windy site somewhere with a lump of iron, with somebody asking him, Adam, do you know what this is? Um, can does that happen then uh, a lot? And is it something um, that's happened uh, in in this last uh, year? So I think it was about a year ago. I sent you the the last yeah, thing that, stuff that from, I yeah. sent you. Um, you can just tell us a little bit more about that aspect. The sort of I suppose I'm asking about the experience that you built up, and and maybe just you know, one artifact that you've got either emailed in or either through your work or through someone you know that you've gone, wow, this is this is this is this is something really important. This is something that, you know, not only I'd love to draw, but I just love to to hold just to just to, to see that yeah. history. Yeah, I mean partly again, it's as you said, it's vocational. So as well as having a job 
with Oxford Archaeology doing this, it's something I do in my own time too, you know, we'll come on to other stuff later, but that means you absorb yourself in the things you want. Now, whilst my paid job will focus on certain aspects because that's my role, the brilliant thing about the other vocational elements of it is I can pick and choose what it is I do. And I've always had an interest in the early medieval period. So I would go to museums, read stuff, make stuff, engage in that which means that just over time you accumulate an awful lot of knowledge um, about that period. And as a result, you have this kind of library of stuff in your brain. And again, because my impulse has always been very much the visual world and, and ob object biographies and, you know, making copies of these artifacts, that means that this sort of stuff is lodged in my brain. So when people send me them, it's almost like there's some kind of file of facts I'm rummaging through thinking I've seen one of those somewhere. And sometimes that involves scrabbling around a book. Um, and eventually you, you think I've, I have seen one like that before. And then you get the text back within 10 minutes going, it looks like one of these, I think, you know, yeah. <laughs> and then 20 minutes later, you might get a reference when I eventually found it in the book. You know? So, um, I, I think people have got to understand that, you know, we're waiting around those 10 minutes. We're not actually digging that stage. No. Adam says this Dude, is Roman. There's, well there's dots. Not that we don't love typing. Roman, but if, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if, if we're meant to be on an early medieval site and Adam says, well, that's clearly our need of Roman, then we're like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, um, I mean, I've, yeah. I've got to, I mean, I've had an incredible, it's difficult really, I've had an incredibly privileged career in that I seem to have landed some really interesting early medieval sites and, you know, the Millennium site was absolutely fantastic in terms of the preservation things there, things like wooden Roman rulers. Uh, fairly recently, I got a, a random picture. Um, I can't really talk about the site much yet of a of an early medieval comb, sixth, seventh century comb sent through antler one with somebody saying, "What's what date is this?" And of course, you get horrifically excited because it's it's the correct period, as we all know. You know, <laughs> the answer. You I, all I will want. stretch to ninth and tenth century, but you know, uh, there are earlier centuries are just about okay. Yeah, I've got to say, there's, there's, I have kind of had a, a bracket that spreads out from sort of late 9th, early 10th century. And, and the further it gets away from that, the less interesting it gets. But, you know, <laughs> it's all pretty good. It's all pretty good. The, the, we'll, yeah. edit, we'll edit this with, uh, so we don't lose that, that big uh, 11th to 12th, 13th century audience. But um, <laughs> no, but, that, but that's the thing. I think everyone, people who are interested in, say, you know, we do a lot of work in uh, an anarchy period site with the with, uh, University of, of Bristol and I didn't know anything about it, but even just reading the blogs and the, the images that were coming from that, you kind of, you begin to get into it. And that's the thing about archaeology, you think, oh, I'm never interested in modern yep. stuff or medieval stuff. And then when someone tells you about an interesting site and you saw a few pictures and you visit a site or a museum, it, it, it will start. It will always find its, find, it, find its way in. Anyone can get into archaeology and, and, and history if you, you just need to have the right people telling you about it. And with, with Adam here today, we we certainly got that. I think I think I can see from your passion in this that we get this is a good chance to 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 go into the final part of our podcast, which is your ability uh, in terms of yourself and your the Cumberland group that 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 you've set up with with your, your with your friends and colleagues um, to tell people like myself, people that are watching and 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 listening to this now. So um could you just tell everybody about what what your 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 group is we you know we can we can direct people to to the websites and they can find out how, how sure. it started but you just tell us you know what, what what you want to achieve what 
what you do and the the amazing outreach that you do at places like Govan and you do personally with your with your with your videos and and online and yeah if you just uh, just spend a few minutes telling us about that and then we can uh, sure. we can we can thank you but yeah Cumberland tell us about that and tell us everything you guys and you do personally about outreach yeah, well, I mean, I've been obviously reenacting for as long as I've been doing archaeology. So those two things have gone side by side for me. So it's always something I've done. But um, it was around the time of two things kind of happened together. Around the time of us publishing Cumwitten, the finds went into a museum. So that was a period whereby having made reproduction artifacts for a lot of years, I realized that I was going to have to do something um for the museum because they wanted reproductions and I couldn't face the idea of somebody else making them, if I'm brutally honest. So I decided I'd have to formalize a, a business side of what I do. But then shortly after, at the same time, I started um, changing what I was doing from a reenactment point of view to, to emphasize this about the Northwest. So first of all, I started up my sort of sideline business, which is Blue Oaks Reproductions. And I started making, I made replicas for Tully House and I started making a number of replicas um, for handling kits and, and and things like that. In addition, with the reenactment group, I eventually found a group of like-minded individuals and we created um, a new reenactment group called Cumberland, as you say. And that was very much to represent the peoples of the early medieval Northwest, particularly focused around the idea of the nascent kingdom of Strathclyde and it's a Onveron. So we're not a Viking reenactment group. We're not a Brythonic reenactment group. We just look to represent the people and their lives in the region using Cumberland as a quite convenient marker because it seems to straddle the areas of our of our members who live mixed across the border of Northwest England and uh, Southwest Scotland. And so that was our emphasis. And as a result of that, we've been involved in lots of um, events. So, for example, when we launched the book at St. Michael's, we did an event there. I got involved in the Viking Fest Festival at Hesham and did a number of talks there, hosted talks and then do some outreach. Um, and, of course, we developed a relationship with Govan, which is, uh, you know, we had technically you and I had met earlier, but that was when we first properly got to know each other because um, you likewise were, were doing a lot of volunteer work and stuff there. And... For us, it was really important to have a good relationship with Govan because, you know, that is ground zero really for our project. It's you know, it's 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 home base alpha basically, as far as we're concerned, in that you know that's where some of this exciting research. It's a nice place to have as a, a base, and a, and we've developed a great relationship there. So what we aim to do with both my business and the and the reenactment is to make high quality reproduction items and use them in a very well-informed way to enthuse people and excite people about the past, really. And so if you turn up at Govan, it's a fantastic place to visit with some amazing sculpture there and really good volunteers and guides you can go and take. But if we're there as well, it allows people to look at the clothes and the art and the stuff that is missing from that and see how people wove cloth and see how people forge things or see how people carve things and and to have some of these discussions we're having now in a really accessible way. And it's the same with the museum work. You know, we put these artifacts on display so that a crumbled thing in a case that we're all getting really excited about and a lot of people are looking a little bit nonplussed. If you can put a reproduction next to it and some interesting interpretation, then suddenly that, you know, brings it to life for them and they can start to see what they're looking at and, and understand that a little bit more. And, and you're so doing this as well with um, 
you're at Blue Act Tree Productions is, is Adam's company, and we'll, we'll we'll put links out to that too. If you search on Facebook, that's probably the best place to 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 find about your reproduction work. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you you've made uh, amazing handling kits, and I've seen them for Govan, but also for uh, also museums, as you say, but also universities as well. So yep. a little bit about those kits. Yeah, I mean, I've done the two largest ones are probably for the University of Nottingham and the University of Glasgow, which um, both tailored very differently. The University of Nottingham was very much tailored around the you know Viking Age artifacts from the East Midlands and how that material culture looks, and the University of Glasgow one was very much geared around the areas we've been talking about, the uh, northwest insular sort of world, really. So it's that Scandinavian um, northwest insular style stuff, and it's it's. You know, you could buy a stock Viking handling kit and you would have a fairly repetitive comb and blah, 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 blah. But these are catered to specific finds with a high level of accuracy, which is really interesting um, because it means that students can study these sorts of things and look at how they would have looked and how these objects would have behaved when they were intact and not crumbly. But you can also put them side by side and see just the kind of styles and trends in objects that come out because there are some similarities. Of course there are. You know, that's true of most of the world there are things that are very similar across the whole of europe today but there are some things that are really interesting and idiosyncratic to the area too and it enables those things to be brought out and people to actually pick up a pair of viking scales and some weights and some hack silver and have a go at weighing it and how accurate it is and you know things like that really it's a have a go at spinning have a go at weaving feel how comfortable the shoes are you know see the difference between them. i have a little exercise where i get the belts out which i've mentioned earlier you know and i will lay some of the insular style belts on the table with some other belts from around europe at the time and I often get even school kids to separate those belts out into groups that they think look similar. And then they group them together in, oh, these ones look like this and these ones look like that. And they all have different criteria. But in effect, what they're doing is what archaeologists do. They're making a typology. That's all a typology is. And so it provides a really interesting talking point for the kids to do a fun activity, to have a look at them, to discuss their ideas. And then talk about how actually this is what archaeologists do in a slightly more developed way. And we bring dating and other objects into and um, to create ideas about how people made things, how people use things in the past. And, you know, you'll be a, a fan of Durham's, for example. They're another great talking point. If you bring a replica Durham out and put, give them a load of coins and ask them to separate them out and, and have a look at the inscriptions on them. That's always one that makes them go, what's this? This is nothing like mm -hmm. any of the other ones. Well, that's a fantastic introduction to talking about the wider world that scandinavia was connected to stretching out to the middle east and beyond you know so it's uh that's that's what reproductions are best used for for me is just this this point where people can actually handle it and get enthused about the subject and use that as a a talking point a springboard to the wider world and just just how far that actually stretches really and how much there is to learn out there still and if you want to know more from adam um i'll i'll TikTok, you you're on YouTube, uh, yep. Facebook, any, any other links just so that people can. I was going to say you it. can find me on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, tw and Twitter. Um, on all of those, it's at Blue Axe Reproductions or one word, except Twitter, which is at e Blue Axe cause character length. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I've got a website as well. But you know, websites are always horrifically out of date. But the website does have links to social media, so that's blueaxereproductions.com. So. Yeah, go and have a look. Um, see all the shiny things being used, being made, you know, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and I think 
I mean, it just remains for me to say thank you. I mean, Luke will often say to me, he can tell, you know, he's um, he he knows the best about archaeology, but he says he really knows something interesting when I'm sort of agape. <laughs> when you're telling me stuff that I maybe have heard a bit about, but the way you describe it with your enthusiasm um, is something that comes across in your social media and, you know, you, you, you write, edit, books you illustrate you work with oxford archaeology for say over over 20 years now so you 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 know we work in commercial archaeology as do you but you know we're all interested in we're so fascinated we just want other people to to know yeah, about it and we want to we want to share that that huge interest that we have in it and i think you know i think you'll all agree that there's few better than, than adam uh and and in doing that that for us as, as a commercial archaeology world to to, to tell the world um, how brilliant archaeology is, and particularly in the sort of northwest of of Britain and the Irish Sea region, and, and whatever you want to call it. So, um, thank you very much, and um, yeah. So goodbye, Adam, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll speak again. No, yep, thanks very much for having me. Cheers, Tom. Yeah, uh, as 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 you would have expected, Adam was great. He's great in what he's talking about, uh, great in his delivery, just a really nice person. Um, I think that's come across a lot of the people. I think everyone we've talked to has just been really nice, really knowledgeable, loves their subject. I mean, as a, as a sort of producer, is that, is that, is that come across as a sort of non-archaeologist, although you're becoming an archaeologist? One of us, one of us. Yeah, I, I do think it's um, it's always impressive to me to see how much people care. That's the thing that I, I I know I've said it a few times on this, but the, the actual passion, the enthusiasm that you guys have for your work is incredible. And I would listen to it all day, whether I know about the subject or I don't know about the subject. It doesn't matter. Hearing two people talk about something they love is always interesting to me. And it just so happens that Adam is also a very interesting person, has an interesting story. And that's great for me to have to sit through this a hundred times and edit it is always it's always interesting but i think it's amazing for our viewers for our listeners as well to not only hear adam talk about that this is his work but that it bleeds into his personal life as well with his um with, with the, the, the reproductions the and that kind of stuff as well it, it's it encompasses his whole life basically this doesn't it yeah no i mean he he's a he's a good pal and um I, i've had and I had the pleasure of spending a weekend with them making a you know reproduction Viking items, and it's just you know uh, uh, working with a, a friend who's so knowledgeable and such a good teacher. And as, as we know, teachers should be paid more because it's such a difficult job. Because if you can remain calm and patient while I'm sort of bashing a bit of silver very very badly in your workshop, um, then you know you you've got the patience um of, of a saint. But that's it. You you're talking there about. It's his life and the Cumberland yeah. group that we're talking about just at the end and the reproductions, the handling kits that he he makes for universities. So, you know, the next generation of archaeologists are being able to handle things. Otherwise, you know, it's behind a glass case and you just can't you can't touch it. So um, to sound like MC Hammer. Um, but he yeah, no, it, it was fantastic. And also, I mean, huge thanks. I, I'm sure you'll share out to Oxford Archaeology for, for yeah. lending yeah. Adam and you know, I think that's what we're trying to do, trying to show that commercial archaeology, we're all archaeologists, we all love it. We want, you know, the rising tide will lift all boats and, you know, collaborative work like this 
on outreach is I think I think it's something that I'm I'm probably most proud of that that you and I have, have, have done today. Yeah, absolutely. And even just down to getting somebody as busy as Adam to to come and talk to us, it's incredible. I always say this is about sharing stories. This is about sharing people's lives. And um, that's what we're here to do. And that's what we love to do. And with that in mind, stay tuned because we may have Adam back. Yes. Um, two weeks from now. So as you know, it's every two weeks um, the, the podcast drops. And we it will be hinted towards, I think, maybe in, in this podcast. But basically, the next episode is going to be a special on Adam's work with Oxford Archaeology on Viking and Viking Age graveyards you know amazing. how do you feel about vikings tom would you like to tell us uh i've heard of them uh, I'm gonna read more. <laughs> um i think i think i think there are le legs in it and in terms of my my interest um but yeah I'll, I'll i'm on wikipedia straight after this and uh find out find <laughs> out more but yeah joking aside if you like vikings if you like early medieval um britain and ireland if you like burials, amazing burials, furnished burials from a Viking cemetery, this this is this is the podcast to listen to. It's amazing. Luke's going to do some wizardry on uh, getting uh, the YouTube version of this. It's going to have images, um, so it's going to be something new that we're doing, and I um, you know we 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 hope you enjoy it. But yeah, stay tuned two two weeks from now for this second uh, part of a sort of Adam Parsons special. Absolutely. So if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, make sure you hit that subscribe button, hit that follow button to get this directly to you when it comes out next. Um, it's not one to be missed. So pay attention to us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, because we'll be dropping some hints coming up over the next two weeks and a couple of teasers about this podcast coming up. As always, leave us a rating, leave us a review, tell your friends about this podcast, share the stories worldwide, because that's what we're trying to do. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you very much.